Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. Today is Thursday, May 24th, and yes, once again, I know I did not have an episode last week. I have the best of intentions to get an episode out every week, but unfortunately the best of intentions doesn't produce this episode, so I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to say that I'm going to shoot for every other week. I think it'll make things easier for me. Now, when there's hot news that comes out, I will still try to get that show in every week. But I think I'm going to I'm gonna have to take a step back and, and plan for an every other week schedule uh, until further notice. So anyway, on to this week's show. We have a Moscone Cup vice captain. Jeremy Jones was named as the vice captain for the 2018 Team USA. Uh, that was that announcement came out yesterday, and Jeremy is actually one of the conversations that we have this week. But before we get to that conversation, I had a chance to talk to Zach Gage. Zach is an iOS programmer who has created a new iPhone app called Pocket Run Pool. Before we get to those two interviews, uh, we do have a little bit of other news. The World Cup of Pool took place since we last talked. That was won by the China A team. The event took place in China, and traditionally the home country has two teams. Uh, Haitao Lu and Wu Sheng went undefeated, which any team, since it's a single elimination event, would have gone undefeated to win it. They defeated the Austrian team of Mario He and Alvin Ushan in the finals. It was 10-3. That's only the first time in two years that Albin and Mario have lost a match, seeing as how they won it last year. Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to Ted Lerner about that event as he was there doing commentary. Until then, though, we do have two interviews this week. The first interview will be the interview with Zach Gage, the author of Pocket Run Pool for the iPhone. All right, I'm joined now by Zach Gage. Uh, I Are you only an iPhone programmer? Do you also do Android? Most of my stuff is for iPhone because I largely work by myself, and so there's only so much that I can do. But almost everything I have gets ported to Android eventually by a group of friends of mine who have a studio. Okay. Zach is the author of Pocket Run Pool. Just came out... I had read that it was coming out today, but it came out actually yesterday, right? Yeah, I uh, had a surprise um, ask from Apple to get it out uh, on the 24th in Korea, which means the 23rd in America. Well, that worked out well for us. Yeah. (laughs) And honestly, it's so stressful launching a game. It was actually sort of nice to be able to just get it out a little bit early for people. And... It's interesting that Apple would reach out to you uh, on a pool game. Is that is that kind of did you expect that? Um, well, I've been working on iOS for a long time, and I have a, a pretty um, solid relationship with Apple. So whenever I do something new, we usually have some sort of conversation about it. So I think in in this respect, um, I I did sort of expect it, but mostly because it you know I I had a meeting with them and I showed them what I was working on and we talked about it. But I think Apple in general is uh, surprisingly open to the kinds of things that would um, be on their platform. And I don't think that they would look look down their nose at any particular genre of games. Um, and so, uh, in fact, the, one of the reasons that I ended up working so hard on this game is um, a number of years ago in one of my meetings, I showed it to them. Um, and some of my uh, contacts over there are actually very big pool fans themselves, and they got really into the game. And so I was like, oh, I should probably finish this and put it out. Oh, wow. Um, Before we get into the game itself, can you tell us a little bit more about your background in in iPhone or iOS programming? Sure. Um, Well, I come from uh, a fine arts background. I actually do a lot of um, conceptual sculptures, and I used to do a lot of photography and and some generative artwork. Um, And I sort of came into... uh, iPhone games programming through my interest in video games and my interest in this sort of conceptual art. Um, And because of the kind of work I was doing, uh, interactivity was a really big thing. You know, if you make something 
that is really weird that you expect someone to interact with in a gallery. There's a whole level of design that you have to put in to make people feel comfortable to walk up to something and start noodling with it. And so um, that kind of experience really translated well to designing games on this, at the time, very new platform with this new model of interaction that was the touchscreen. And so I got really hooked into this idea of sort of um, being able to design things that uh, normal people would be able to interact with people who aren't super deep into video games um, because I could sort of use this magical new touchscreen to be able to do it. And, and a lot of my skills um, in trying to make normal people comfortable interacting with weird artwork in a gallery setting turned out to be exactly appropriate to getting normal people to interact with um, weird games on a phone. So what was the first game that you coded? The first game was a game called Unify, which was my uh, wife had downloaded Tetris on her phone. And Tetris is really a game that's designed around pushing buttons. Um, and it really sucked on the phone. It just did not work as a, as a touchscreen game. I mean, Tetris is a great game, but not, not on the iPhone. And so I looked at that, and I was young, and I was like, ah, I could make something better than this. This sucks. <laughs> so I made a game called Unify, which was me trying to say, like, well, what, what, if, what does Tetris look like if you imagine it um, as a touchscreen game, if you reimagine it and just think about like from the start, we're making a game that uses multi-touch. What does a block-dropping game like Tetris look like? Um, and so from there, I, I went and I made a little uh, arcade asteroid dodging game that was really about touch. And then I made a game called Spell Tower that was um, sort of a reimagining of, of a word search, but as a tactical sort of strategy game. Um, and uh, I've just been making a lot of games since then. I've taken on Solitaire. I've made a few different Solitaire redesigns that were drastically changed the rules of the game. Um, I did one that was sort of based on poker and one that was based on Spider Solitaire. I made a game called Really Bad Chess where it's chess, but instead of getting the normal allotment of pieces, you get a random assortment. So you might have like four bishops and three queens or something, and you'd be playing somebody who's got like eight rooks. Um, and to just to sort of look at how that changes the game and how it actually in some ways makes the game a lot more accessible and more learnable and more exciting to somebody who's not interested in book openings. Um, and so Pocket Run Pool is, is, is my latest game, um, and it's this exploration into um, billiards and trying to, sit, trying to look at what I perceive to be the, the world of, of pool games as it exists on iPhone and, and the thing that I thought was missing um, and how I could recreate that and relate it to my experience um, playing a lot of eight ball in college and, and what I felt like were the important parts of that experience. So can you describe the game a little bit for people who haven't uh, downloaded it yet? Sure. So um, uh, my sort of sense of the iPhone game space for, for billiards games is that there's sort of two styles of game. There's like a very, very dumbed down version of pool, um, which is like this sort of like rough eight ball that you play against people online. And it's built around like these sort of weird tournaments and collectible cues with different statistics. And basically it's the entire um, freemium Candy Crush style model of like upgrades and just plopped onto like a very simplistic version of eight ball. Um, and, and that I feel like in some ways, you know, it, it's technically pool, but it doesn't really represent most of the feelings that pool engenders. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there's sort of like the, the uh, jet airplane version of pool that has like every single thing you would want to think about as somebody who's like very into the technical aspects of the, the like high, level of of pool as a sport so like you can you know chalk your cue and and aim at different parts of the ball and and have a fine grain adjustment of the power and um sorry <laughs> i promise i'll get to explaining the game in a minute um but basically you've got like all of these different possibilities to sort of perform these incredible trick shots that are that most people can't do in real life um but to me the, the kind of pool that i wanted was the the pool that i uh, experienced in college which is sort of this like there's a there's a lot of strategy to it but also everybody's sort of you know on some level an amateur and the the real heart of of that version of pool for me was always this situation of like there's a shot i want to make 
and then there's a shot I know I can make. So like maybe the best shot is like I know I can can sit my ball behind the eight ball and really screw the other person. But if I want to risk something, there's like a a long shot across the table that I'm pretty sure I can put in the side pocket, but I'm not 100 percent sure. And then there's like the mental tension between like making a choice between these two choices. Do I take a risk and do something that I might not be able to pull off or do I do the safe thing? Um, and so pocket run was me attempting to sort of take this digital version of pool, this the dumbed down version, the like weird crappy eight ball version, and change the rules and change the setup and change the control scheme to build a game that really tried to capitalize on that feeling of do I take this shot that is risky or do I make the shot that I know I can make? And so the way that it works is um, instead of being a two player game, it's fundamentally single player and you have a bunch of billiard balls on the table and they're of different numbers. Um, there are only 10 of them in my version of the game and they're numbered two through 13, um, skipping a couple numbers. So there's a bunch of low ones, a bunch of middle ones and a bunch of high ones. And then every pocket on the table has a little multiplier. So it starts at times one and then times two times four, uh, times six times eight times 10. And so each pocket has a multiplier in it and say you sink the, um, seven ball in the times 10 multiplier, you get 70 points. And so which ball goes in which pocket is really important. Um, and every time you sink a ball, the multipliers rotate one time. So the reason why it's called pocket run is basically you're like going on a run of a particular pocket multiplier. So you'll try to like chase the times 10 multiplier as it moves around the table. And as you make your shots, you're trying to like leave your ball in the right place and also manipulate the other balls on the table so that you can execute this like plan, um, which you know is basically the same thing at least in my experience as going on a run um, in pool except in this there's like a little bit more structure because you don't want to hit you know just because you have a good shot on a ball in a particular pocket doesn't mean you want to take it you might want to wait until that pocket is the times 10 pocket and then put the ball in um, on top of that it, it goes a bunch of places there's um, a bunch of sort of tournament modes and there's one uh mode called uh, break of the week, which I, I think is actually pretty interesting and different and maybe we should talk about at some point. But um, largely, that's the, the structure of it. It's this idea of taking um, billiards and, and removing the second player and instead of the second player, bringing in multipliers and, um, and bringing in a little bit of risk. If you don't make any pockets, uh, you, you lose a life and you only have so many lives um, per table. And the lives are also worth um, points at the end of the round. So there's a, also a decision of like, well, maybe I will risk this life and lose some points now to get a better setup to put a, a ball in the really high scoring pocket later. I did notice that it has a real uh, puzzle feel to it. You know, it's it's not like you say the dumbed down. Let me just fire balls into a pocket. There's you actually do need to think about where and when you're going to pocket a ball in in a particular pocket based on the multiplier i assume that was a that was something you consciously did yeah i mean the the big thing for me was trying to figure out um when you make a so when i when i think about my experience of playing pool the really difficult part of playing pool for me was always you know looking at where balls are on the table and judging what what it is i should do where i should hit the ball how i should how it should strike the ball that it's going to strike and how to make sure that that ball goes in the right direction and all of that comes from the fact that when you play pool you're playing pool in the world and as human beings we have a really good understanding of the physicality of the world and and we have two eyes and we can see in 3d and we can sort of like imagine how these things are going to interact with each other on an infinite level of, of fine-grained detail um, but when you make a video game all of that goes out the window and you have to actually spend a lot more time actually telling people exactly what they know so when people play pocket run pool um, I, I, uh, it, the game itself tells you, like, if you hit this ball, this is the direction it's going to go. And telling you that piece of information was something that I had to make a deliberate choice to tell you, um, and which, what kind of information in that vein that the game tells you is all deliberate choices, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to judge anything. You'd have to sort of like imagine from from 2D what what could possibly happen and it, and it would be very hard. And so when you're actually telling the player very specific information, 
then you have to sort of add some extra design back on the back end to 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 sort of bring the mystery back in, bring the difficulty back in, and, and bring the, um, the 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 difficult strategy and cognition back into the game. And so a lot of the idea with the the multipliers going around um, and the lives and and the way that the the um, break rack that the, that the balls who are racked on the break that they don't always start in the exact same place. All of that stuff is built around trying to counterbalance this fact that I'm like giving you this incredibly important and powerful piece of information every time you make a shot. And, and tell us about the different game modes. Sure. So the main game mode is called standard run. And um, basically you're just trying to sink all of the balls in the pockets and get a good score. Um, when you get really good at that mode, you start going for perfects, which is just getting every ball in the times 10 and not losing any lives, which is very, very difficult. Um, but it's sort of this interesting aspirational challenge. Um, and then there's two modes that I think are maybe the most interesting and sort of come out of this new set of rules that that pocket run has and this puzzling nature that it has and those are the insta tournament and the break of the week um and basically what those modes are are there um, a mode where you go in and instead of breaking the balls and playing the game the table has already been pre-broken so the cue ball is in one place and there are balls in lots of different places and so for example in break of the week every week there's one break that everybody in the world has and they're all competing on the same one to get the highest score and you can play it as many times as you want so what happens is you start to come up with like a particular strategy of the of the run you want to make and how you can sort of get the perfect score out of this situation of balls um and then you can practice over and over again trying to like perfect it and 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 nail your run um and then insta tournament is is very similar except instead of it being one break every week um it's one break every one to five minutes so they're constantly running and you only get one chance at it so you can make a plan but if you fail you have to sort of figure out how to recover gracefully and still get a high score um, and then afterwards you're compared against everybody else who played that particular tournament in, in, the, in that five-minute block that you played it, uh, and it lets you know who was the best, and you can get some chips or uh, medals for depending on how well you do. Um, and then the last mode is called high-stakes mode, and, and that's probably the goofiest um, and, and the furthest away from pool of everything. Um, but in that mode, basically, uh, you pay a certain there's like a fake currency called chips that you can get by watching video ads if you ever run out but um you can also just win a lot and and keep getting it and so in that mode you sort of wager a set amount of chips um and then you break and then after the break you're presented with a random selection of like weird side bet conditions so um, things like every ball on the table is an eight ball, which has a particular effect in the game, or uh, the balls are suddenly random sizes, or there are a number of balls on the table that have skulls on them, and if they ever get sunk, you lose instantly, or you only have one life, or uh, there's one that's really rough called cue wall, where um, the cue ball bounces around the table and it leaves a line behind it, and then that line becomes a solid wall for the next turn, and then you have to sort of deal with this like annoying wall wall in the middle of the table um, but basically uh, you you are offered these sort of strange challenges and you either decide to accept them or not um, and then if you win uh, you get a payout based on how well you did and also how many challenges you took so when you first start you can only take one but after you've won with one then you can take two and then three and then four and you can sort of stack them on top of each other um, to build these like very strange and very stressful little uh, specific wagers for yourself I'm curious on a game like this, what what kind of time are we talking about from the time that you have the initial idea until yesterday when the game is released? <laughs> sure. So this one actually took me a really long time, mostly because um, things like the instant tournament and the break of the week required a, a sort of like back end to be developed to, to present, um, to allow people to compare scores with each other all, all over the world. Um, and that was a, a back end that I wanted to use for a lot of other games. And so what actually happened with this game is I came up with it, uh, three years ago. And then I went out and found some, some friends who I could hire to build this back end. And then I built a bunch of other games 
sort of testing and refining the back end and then finally came back to this one and um, and released it uh, and like built it up and really used the back end pretty pretty significantly um, and and released the game so this particular game took me about three years but I think it, that wasn't really you know three years of constant work I would say if you actually sat down and said like how long did you really work on this game um, I think almost all of my games end up taking between um, like two and six six months maybe I try to get about two games out a year um, but I'm constantly working on many other games while those those two are being finished up so there's like all these prototypes going on so I wouldn't say I'm like sitting six months of the year solidly on one game and then just moving to the next one and what kind of a response have you had? I realize it's only been a day, but you know, personally, I like the game, and I haven't even gotten into the other modes yet. Uh, I did see one review out there on a website, and they really liked it. Uh, but I'm sure you're looking. I'm sure you've seen a lot more than I have as far as reviews and uh, recommendations. Yeah, it's basically all I'm doing is looking for them. <laughs> um, well, I I, uh, I really I, I really appreciate that that you're enjoying it. That means a lot to me that I could um, build something that would connect into the, the, the world of people who are really deeply into professional pool. Um, so far, the response has been pretty good. Um, I've been getting some really good reviews and people seem really excited about the game. I always, you know, I, you never know how things are going to go. And every time I release a game, I'm always, you know, sitting there the night before thinking like, ah, what if this is the one that everyone just can't stand? Um, so it's been nice to see who's in it and who's, who's been really into it. And I think also one of the things that's really fun for me about making games that are sort of taking off these established cultural genres is that when something is like deeply cultural, everybody kind of stops talking about it. So like you never hear people talking about the, the game of solitaire they played on their computer this morning or the game of chess they watched um, last night on, on Twitch or the, the game of eight ball that they played on the, on the subway. It's just not something that people bring up because these things have become sort of like just deep cultural, um, artifacts. And so it's really fun when I make something like this because suddenly all the people who are in my, um, world who actually do care about pool and think about pool and play pool video games and, and play real life pool, um, they sort of come out of the woodwork and they go, oh, Zach made a pool video game. This is so exciting. I love pool. Um, and that's just nice to see. It's nice to sort of get that um, different side of people. And uh, it's also pretty exciting. One of my uncle um, who has been playing pool with me all my life and, and has a pool table and basically introduced me to pool when I was like probably like six or seven. Um, he doesn't really play any of my video games. Um, it's, he's just not a video game person. And, uh, this is the one that he sort of was finally like, Oh wow, that's neat. Yeah, definitely. Let me know when you, when, when it comes out and, and he's been into it. And so that's pretty exciting to me. That's cool. It's nice to see it, it, it stretching across, you know, the, the differences between people and, and giving them some kind of a common thing. And, you know, we all know that a lot of people play pool, but, it it's tough to to find something that takes advantage of that you know everybody knows what the game is but there's so many other distractions out there it's it's kind of tough to keep them interested in pool yeah it's it's uh you know there's some just something weird about when things become um so big and so sort of like culturally intact they also sort of fade away a little bit Sometimes I think it's the big joke about living in New York City is everybody lives in New York City, but nobody sees each other. And uh, that's that's sort of how I feel a, a lot of times about these like giant um, c cultural games like pool and chess and and um, and solitaire. It's like everybody plays them and everybody, you know, has has talked about them and thought about them. But nobody's, you know, but but very often people are not just talking about them in, in their lives all the time unless you know it's a you're in sort of a, a community that's like really really uh, rooted in in that stuff so now that the game is out um god forbid bug fixes but besides that <laughs> uh what kind of plans do you have for the future do you plan on on adding functionality to it or is it pretty much okay there it is if i don't have to fix it i'll move on to the next one 
There's definitely a couple things that I really want to get in. Um, I have a couple of strange bets that I want to get in on the gambling mode that I didn't have time to put in. Um, uh, just very bizarre ideas. Um, one of the things that's been interesting about designing for the gambling mode is trying to come up with um, conditions that like are exciting on their face, but in, in actuality cause you to behave really differently. So there's a, a, a condition very far in on like a very expensive payout table um, called score zone. And the way that that one works is it reduces the value of all of the balls on the table. But then every time you take a shot, there's like a small circle on the table where if the cue ball lands in that circle and stays in that circle, you get a bunch of bonus points. And so it becomes this very interesting twist on like, um, when you should do that, like often, you know, you're trying to, to make runs and it's still very important that you sink the balls in, in good pockets and don't lose. So sometimes those circles aren't in the right places and it's sort of like, well, I need to land in a couple of them to get a good payout this game. So do I take this one that's in a sort of optimal place but isn't perfect or do I wait and hope that there's a better one that, that randomly appears exactly where I need it to be? Um, so a couple more um, ideas based around uh, exploring that. And, and then I also have a, a mode that's sort of a, a harder version of the standard run that's based around nine ball that I really want to put in that sort of um, does a lot of the stuff that, that the original standard mode does, but then adds uh, a twist where you always have to touch the lowest ball first or you lose immediately. Um, which is sort of like an extra hard uh, version of, of the standard run that forces you to compromise a little bit more um, and uh, and hopefully um, takes just, just a little bit of inspiration from nine ball. Um, yeah, those would be the major plans. <laughs> from but. playing just for a day, I can't even imagine having to play it in rotation. So uh, <laughs> I think I'll definitely have to practice before you bring that one out. Um, so the game is Pocket Run Pool. Where can people find more information about it? Uh, you can find out more information at pocketrunpool.com. Or if you're a Twitter user, my screen name is at Helvetica, like the font. Um, and I, I'm certainly going to be talking about it on there for the next couple of days. Sounds good. Hopefully everyone will go out and check it out. Um, now, there's, there's a free version or there's an in-app purchase you can make. How does that work? Yeah, so the game is free. Um, it shows ads, uh, and there's an in-app purchase that you can make that's $3.99, and that unlocks the break of the week mode. Um, and then it also gives you a, a bunch of little bonuses and, um, and turns all the ads off. And then after that, you basically have the whole game. The only stuff that isn't um, fully unlocked at that point is getting more chips for the gambling mode um, and that you can either spend money or you can uh, watch video ads. Um, I try to be pretty generous with with how many chips you get for for that. I don't really want to, you know, my goal with with that kind of purchase is I'm not trying to like bleed anyone dry or force them to watch a million video ads. Um, but it's more that I just want the the chips that you deal with in gambling mode to like have an intrinsic value to them uh, and that you, you don't want to lose them because there is like some degree of, 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 you know, painfulness at that loss. Uh, you know, nothing that's going to bankrupt anybody, but just, just enough for you to feel like, ah, like ah, I could have, I could have gotten something great and now I'm out of chips. Well, hopefully everybody will check it out. It's pocket run pool and it's pocketrunpool.com. I'll include a link in the in the notes for this episode or on Twitter. You said it was at Helvetica. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's my handle on Twitter. All right. Well, Zach, I wish you all the luck with it. I think it's a, it's a very fun game and you know, it's one of those that like most uh, iPhone games, you can, you can pick up, you can spend five minutes on it while you're, you know, waiting for water to boil or something like that and then put it back down and, and, you know, do, play it again the next time you have free time. Uh, again, I wish you all the luck in the world, and I appreciate you taking some time out today to talk to us. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate all the, the little feedback on it. It's great to get to talk to somebody who's got your level of knowledge and, and depth in the pool world. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. You too, Mike. That was Zach. I do recommend you check it out, pocketrunpool.com. Uh, 
very interesting game. You can download it for free. You can play it. If you like it, then you can go ahead and spend a couple bucks to unlock all the extra features. Now let's get to the new vice captain of the Moscone Cup, Jeremy Jones. Here's Jeremy. Very proud to be joined now by Jeremy Jones, the just announced vice captain of the 2018 Moscone Cup Team USA. Jeremy, I'll bet your phone's been ringing off the hook. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Buzzing off the hook. I don't keep the ringer on too much, but uh, yeah, it's been going crazy, really. It's, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm not sure a lot of people would consider that fun. You feel... Do you feel pressure from players? Because I'm sure they've got to be saying, you know, we can win this thing if you put me on the team. No, I uh, I haven't really had any of that as far as anything personal or anything random like that. Um, I, there's been some fans that have commented certain things about players and whatnot, but as far as a personal player-to-player, player, now that's one thing, I mean, we haven't played that great of late, but we certainly still have a lot of professionals, and those guys out there wouldn't 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 act like that. I don't think so. I don't think that I would call that real professional. Does that make sense, Mike? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, I can see that, but I also know that it's a major deal. I mean, some of the players they work towards this all year, the opportunity to play on the team. So, and I'm sure I'm sure that a number of them feel that maybe the team wouldn't win with them on it, but they would certainly do better than they've done in the past with them on it. I mean, you know, pool players, you have to have a pretty big ego to get out there in front of those people and, and play. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, much uh, easier for me at first because it was a team thing. And, and uh, I was real used to that kind of stuff growing up, so that kind of gave me some comfort, and I think that gives some other guys some comfort. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, like I talked with Johan originally, and when you think about picking a team, Mike, you know, in my perfect mind, it would be like, say, for last year, if you could pick five SBBs or five Skylers or five Oscars or Dennis or Billy, that would be the perfect team, but you can't do that. So you got to pick five individuals that are going to, what you think are going to work together and get the most out of each other, meaning play their best game possible. So, you know, as far as like players reaching out, I think what makes all great players is a little bit of them thinking they can do it. Um, but at the same time, they know, I think it, they're very professional in the sense that they're not going to reach out to me just because I got to, you know, put in this point. I, I think they know there's a lot on my plate, and I'm, you know, I'm a. I think Yohan and I are going to do the best we can. You know. No, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, in reading the release today, it said that Johan himself was the one who chose you as the vice captain. How did that come together? Well. There wasn't really a whole lot prior. Um, Yoan and I got to hang out a little bit at the uh, BCA 50th anniversary last year before the Moscone Cup there in Vegas. And then we also got to speak a few times during the Moscone Cup and after. And it wasn't anything leading up to what happened here uh, today at all. It was just talking about pool, talking about the Moscone Cup, obviously, because it was right in front of us and, uh, and talking a lot about American pool. Uh, so, and they weren't real super long conversations, but he contacted me, uh, uh, not long ago and asked me, uh, if I would be interested in knowing that that would kind of eliminate me from playing, which is, uh, didn't really put me on the fence, but kind of, but was a little bit of a body blow just, but, uh, you know, that's just being honest and, uh. And then so, but I realized real quickly, I'd love to be a part of anything that could help get that cup. So now you've played in it seven times, seven, yeah, and you won it five, but those were all kind of before Team Europe started this domination, right? Yeah, that was from 99 uh, to 2008, uh, with a I believe I was not on the team in 06 and 07. Is that correct? I believe. And then back on the team in 08. 
And then the Americans won in 09. And then from then on, it's been all Euros. What do you, and, and you know, anytime you go on the internet, the closer you get to December, the louder voices get about what Team USA needs to do. What do you think has changed from the time that you were playing to the last few years? Um, you know, you might break that down into categories as far as there's a lot of things that I see that haven't changed. And that's, um, I can see the guys, I, you know, you can see blood flowing on both, both teams, uh, whether that be players, uh, players that are watching the captains. Um, so the nerves really haven't changed, which I like. Uh, I like, a, I like to think the Americans, as much as they prepare in other ways that the Euros do, that if, if, it, if they really get a little comp, a little more confidence out there, that I think their nerves are going to do good things. But to answer your question, you know, it's just a little bit of things here and there. Um, you know, misses at the wrong time, obviously. But the main, the main thing is you, you can't let, you know, everybody's going to miss out there. The main thing I think I see a little more of is just decision-makings, which what happens with decision-making is it doesn't always cost you, but it gives you that chance uh, to cost you. So, you know, just more, more of that, more of the mental side of the game than the physical side of the game, I would say. Now, you as the, the vice captain... What what do you feel your role is going to be with the team? How do you how do you feel that you'll be able to help the team be more successful than they were in the past when when the balls are racked and and things are underway? Well, you know that's a hard question because one of the comments I made was everybody realizing how different they are. Not only the players from player to player, but also Johan and I having a real uh, understanding of, of what type of player uh, that is. And, and it sounds kind of crazy, but kind of like just, you know, play your role, do your thing, kind of like more than don't, uh, what and what's going to make them do their thing, meaning get back to playing like they normally would in the finals of a big tournament, because I think all of us can say we've seen a little difference in some players when we've seen them play in other big moments. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, out there in the Moscone, for some reason, we've seen a lot of players in the last few years have some moments that are very uncharacteristic. So get them a little more comfortable, I think, is a big role. And also realize, you know, kind of making these guys realize, you know, if pool was on the scene like some other sports, all these guys would be getting help from, another person that's watching them play, you know what I mean? Rather than like, uh, you know, like golf, for instance, they all have coaches and people that talk to them about mental things and, and there's nothing wrong with that and kind of making the guys realize that, Hey, a little help here and there, if, you know, you buy into a little bit of it here and there. Uh, they're so talented. I think it would help. There's been talk in the past that, a good captain for Team USA needed to be someone who had the ability, even if it was in the past, and I mention that because Nick Varner's name has come up, it has to be somebody who was a strong enough player in the past that he can earn the, the respect of the players. Otherwise, you know, young pool players who feel that they can beat anybody you know, sometimes they don't listen to, to other people. You know, they think, look, I've, I've done pretty well so far. I, I don't really need your help. Um, do you think you can be that person? I mean, you've had quite a bit of success in the past. Yeah. And yeah, if I didn't feel like I could help and I, you know, and I didn't feel like I really knew a lot of the players that are going to be in the running uh, to be on the team. Well, I think I would have passed on the job. You know, all right, say I had other commitments, but full commitments, and I have plenty of them, but full commitments to where I just knew I couldn't commit how the players are going to have to commit. Uh, you know what I mean? I wouldn't have taken the job. So 
Um, I, yeah, I really think, like I said a second ago, letting the players – that's just the mentality. I'm not saying I didn't have it at one time. But we get help from each other all the time, and that's probably – you know, at tournaments, you'll have cliques of players that help each other. And letting the players realize that there's a person there that is there for help. We're not I, – I don't think I'm going to be in the demanding position at all when it comes to the players. You know what I mean? I'm going to try and open their mind a little bit, maybe on a few things that they might, and they'll ha- hopefully have things that they reach out to me about. Um, but I'm, you know, here to get them in their best place. I can't make any one player at that level. If I could, you know, we, we call it balls and pool, right? Like, oh, you improved a ball, you improved two balls, you know. In a year's time, if I was to make a player like that or help a player like that improve a ball, that would be incredible. But if I can just get the enough is their best game is all I'm saying. Does that make sense? Uh, get them back to where they're really confident out there in that setting. Yeah. Um, you know, in the past, we've seen the younger players, when they're asked how they're going to handle the kind of pressure that is involved with Moscone Cup, they're all very confident. You know, well, I've I've gambled, you know, I've air-barreled for... 10,000 and and knew that, you know, I wasn't going to have, you know, I was going to be broke if I lost the match, so I can certainly handle Moscone Cup. But they really have no idea what kind of pressure they're going to be under. How do you impart that to a young player who maybe has never played on the team before? Well, you know, getting them comfortable with the people they're going to be around and the people that they're going to play, you know, making them realize that they're one of those types of players. Uh, that's huge. You know, back whenever I, the first year I was on the team was 1999 and that was right coming off a very successful camel pro bigger series tour, you know? So, and then, and I can be realistic about it. In 96, when I first started playing professional tournaments, I won one match, I think in seven tournaments. So, but then I could beat a lot of the guys I lost to. If we were in the action room, I could beat them or maybe even spot them. But I had to get used to the tournament scene and whatnot. Well, it's the same kind of thing for the Moscone, but if they get used to that, that other four around them, that's a long ways, meaning those other four. And very, you know, that, that, that may help a lot. And, and you know, and, this sounds like all mental things, but it's, there's a lot of physical, like fundamental things that, uh, that when you get nervous, you have tendencies to do. And some players may not realize that there's just little simple things that can really help you out in that setting. And that's all we're talking about is that setting, winning the Moscone cup. Right. It's been talked about in the past when Mark Wilson was the captain, that, Mark was somebody who seemed to do all of his work in advance. And when the matches were going on, he was more low-key. You know, he would go up and he would say something to a player quietly. While on the other hand, you've got like a Marcus Shamat who is out there revving up the crowd. He's almost like a cheerleader for the team. Where do you see yourself between those two? Well, definitely in, in between those two. Marcus was a very, uh, I played him a lot in the Moscone. He was a very uh, um, well, animated player, you may may say. Uh, very good player in the Moscone Cup. So he's going to believe and stick to what he feels comfortable doing. And that's the best thing, like I said, if everybody can get in the setting of being yourself. That's kind of where I think you're going to get your best play on the mental side of everything. So I'm going to do the same. I'm going to be, you know, honest with the guys and frank and realize that, you know, one guy takes uh, me being frank to one guy doesn't mean I'll say it exactly the same to the other guy. And that's part of me being a, a captain and and keeping the guys as comfortable as possible. So, I mean, I can't tell you if I'm, you know, I'm going to be emotional at times, just like the Moscone, I was emotional at times when I played, or animated, you might say. Uh, but for the most part, my kind of like my best game, if I don't focus, I'm not going to play my best game. So the same thing's going to be probably, I'm going to be there to pay attention to the things that are going on 
during during the matches. So, because if if a captain can or a co-captain can't talk to your players while while the tournament's going on, you're in trouble, in my mind. Oh sure, I just I just wonder which. I mean, certainly different players have different things that motivate them. So I guess it, it's just I guess it's just going to take figuring out what motivates these players and, and providing that. Um, I do want to ask you about your thoughts on building a team, but before I do that, we both know that any team USA is going to be built around Shane. It's been said in the past that maybe Moscone Cup puts too much pressure on Shane. You know, he's expected, he's kind of like, you know, it, it's easy to make the comparison right now while the, the basketball playoffs are going on. He's LeBron. He's taking the winning shot every time. He's expected to win every single time he comes out there to play. Do you agree with that? Well, no. I mean, the format, you know, uh, makes it very difficult for any player to win 50% of the time or 60% of the time. You'll look at the, if you put a number of minimum matches, you'll look at the all-time records and I think still put, I don't know what maybe the minimum matches might be, 20 or something like that. It's still, you know, right around 65% or so, I think. So it's hard. Now, Shane, I mean, of course, he's dominated the scene so much, especially on U.S. soil, that, like you said, LeBron, they're going to expect He's got higher expectations. So, and, but, you know, I mean, that comes with the territory as far as I wouldn't expect any less or more from one player to the next uh, other than their level, you know. Like if for some reason we had four players that were right at the same level and one that we felt like was off from that level, maybe ever so few points or whatever you want to call it if that person performed at their level or higher than the other two other four you know what i mean who are you going to be proud of more you know what i'm saying but so shane's level up there at a great level and a lot of expectation but it's still a race to five under high pressure uh playing a lot of doubles that you got to get used to so i don't know i think it's a little much overall for shane but i mean that's how social media is you're not going to notice the mild comments, right? Right. I'm sure that you've taken time to talk to Johan about building the team. Personally, do you feel it's more important to have veterans or more important to have the young players who possibly play a quarter of a ball or a half a ball better, better than the veterans? Well... You know, let's. Who's to say, though? That's the problem, I think, without enough events to really get a good look at who's to say, because we have a lot of young guys, even though they're not exactly the premium events you would like to see them playing in all the time, you still have them doing having a lot of great results. So there's something to that. Um, even if you call them a half a ball under or so, or a ball under, you know, and. For some reason or another, the Moscone Cup brings out the game a little more. There's a little more decision-making, a little more rolling out, a little more kicking, whatever that may favor a veteran. But you got to believe those younger guys are improving, right? Oh, certainly. As, as a player, what do you think it is about the U.S. pool scene that doesn't produce champions maybe like it did is it just that europe has upped their level of play so much or you know again the internet and all that you know you hear people say well it's it's that there isn't a tour it's that so many players play in bar box events what do you what do you think could be done to the the american pool scene to improve it and at the same time to help it produce champions who are capable of winning Moscone Cup like you guys did 15 years ago? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, um, I'm not sure, you know, I should 
even that's a toughie is what I'm saying. But there's a lot of different opinions. But a lot of it is probably an overall answer, like define the word professional a little more. Um, you got to quit having events that rely on two thirds of the field that can't win the tournament. Dead even right. if the fields have. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I don't look at it that way. I look at people that a lot of them are trying to improve. They see a lot of value in it. Uh, they enjoy it. Um, whatever whatever the reason, their, their why is. But even if you have to shrink the fields to build the quality. Well, you've, you've felt that way for a while. I can remember having a similar conversation with you when the Camel Tour was going on, when you felt that maybe the the level of play on the tour wasn't as strong as it could have been. Yeah, well, going around, that, that's when I started going around kind of traveling more. But also, but two-thirds of the field, I mean, they had 96 players in most events. Um, two, 60 players were great players. I mean, and especially more so in 98, 99, like, uh, but when it opened up to 96 players. But, um the reason being is just it, it, it's a uh, just like anything else, just creates more value, and you know it's it, it needs to be something that's very uh, very much to where it's it's not easy to get in. If it's easy, it's kind of you know you basically get you got to figure out how to build the tournaments to where you don't rely on those entry fees for a lot of your purse. Hey, you can start growing. But anyway, that's another subject, kind of. <laughs> That's a, that's a toughie, Mike. Okay. Um, where where do you and Johan go from here? Um, any idea when you might start announcing players? Um, how far in advance do you want to have the team built? It'll be soon, and and Johan and and uh, Johan will make that announcement pretty soon. I know he's eager to get started. Uh, uh, and so I'm sure whenever that, that comes out, he'll, he'll announce a schedule uh, of things. So that'll, I'm sure that'll all be released around the same time I'm, because America will be interested for sure. Oh yeah. And, and certainly you want to be able to spend time with all of the team members once they're chosen building that camaraderie i mean how exactly do you do that well it's going to take some coordination and uh you know um some commitment but it's going to be something that's going to be worth it um i mean it's going to take some work to do all that but i mean i don't think it's going to be anything too much um, I think it's be good for all the guys that are involved, all, all the players. I don't see how it could be a bad thing for any of them, um, other than just not being able to do it uh, for one reason or another. But, um, you know, there's a lot of frustration, not just in the guys that lost the cup, but the players that are there that tried to make the cup. That, and, you know, not saying they're frustrated not only by – not making the cup, but they're frustrated that America keeps getting beat. So I'm hoping there's a lot of motivation in just trying to get that cup back and being a part of that team doing it. So I'm, you know, whether there's commit, there's so much commitment, it's still not a bad thing. You're, you're out playing pool. You're out getting ready and you're not only getting ready for the Moscone cup, you're getting ready for a lot of events. You're hope, hopefully playing in between. So. I was just saying, I think the overall package for the players that are, that are to be announced, um, I think it's, I don't, I don't see how it can be, be nothing but a good thing for them now and in their future. So. One last question about the team. Um, do you think when players are named, you know, normally the players are, are announced for the team and people look at it and... You know, dismissing the people who say, well, that team has no chance because my favorite player is not on it. Most of the time you can look at the roster and say, yeah, that made sense. You know, sometimes there's one player who you think, well, you know, that could have been so-and-so or so-and-so. 
You see any big surprises? I mean, do you think the team's going to be made up of guys that we logically expect to be on the team? Or are you looking at at wild cards or, or you know, players that, that would surprise us? Well, I think you're always going to have, you know, one or two that surprise some people. Um, it just depends on, you know, what angle you're looking at. If you're looking at, a, a, you know, players that are active players, um, that are keeping busy, staying in stroke, uh, you know, that's one thing. Or if you're looking at somebody that, that, you know, uh, wants to feel like they're a guarantee on the team for, and that's, that's not happening. It's just going to be a, something that's going to be a commitment by a bunch of players to try and perform and, and, uh, figure out which five are going to, are going to have the best shot to, to win that cup. It's not going to be easy, but it's, you know, nothing ever is right. Right. And, and you do believe, I mean, I don't want this to sound wrong. Um, there, there are opinions out there that the top five players out of Europe, they're just better. You believe that the team USA can win this? Yes, I believe they can win it. I mean, like, like I said in the quotes, uh, you know, it's been whatever, nine years, I think something like that. Um, no matter if they're better on paper or not, that's a bit of a fluke. I mean, how do you win nine years in a row? I mean, and I look back at the teams that we beat, and you know, I went through some memorabilia not long ago, and I have a lot of posters from all the times I was in in the Moscone, the event posters. And I look at the teams, and I look at Ralph Suquet in his prime, and Mika Eminem in his prime, Niels and playing great, uh, Steve Davis, who never dogged it really. You know, he sometimes had trouble breaking the ball all the time. Uh, a lot of great teams that we played. And for us to beat him, I think the first five out of six years, and the one year we beat him twelve, like twelve to one, they won the first match. We won twelve in a row. I mean, that kind of stuff it happens, but you just don't expect it. Just kind of like the last several years with the with what's happened. So I do believe we can win. Uh, I think there's a greater group of players than is going to eventually be announced uh, that would have a chance. Meaning there's a longer list than people think. Um, it's just a little bit more about believing, getting off to a better start, I think. And, uh, I mean, what do you think? You played a lot of races to five, right? <laughs> Not under that kind of pressure. No, but, but don't think the Euros, the last, all right. I didn't go to London, obviously two years ago, but I went to the one this year and I went to Vegas when it was there last in, uh, 2015. And the first two days, I think the Euros would tell you themselves, they didn't play very well either. Now, they got going day three and four, uh, especially the latter half of day three and four. Um, and really played well, but it was it was almost like they were made to get in the stroke a little too much. So I think capitalizing at the beginning of the Cup is huge. But I definitely think we can win, to answer your question. Well, Jeremy, I do not envy you this position. Um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of honor in having it, but man, you're in a tough spot. Well, you know, do what we can do, try and win the cup. So, I mean, it's not it's not going to be easy first. It's not going to be easy. I'm, but I mean, you know, I I like pool players. I like the pool hall. I like pool. Period. I, I love it. Um, you know, if I, if I can help these guys try and become better friends with these guys, uh, that's nothing wrong with that. And, and then try and do something together and win the cup. So, I mean, there's a job in hand as well. That's the main thing, of course. But um, I look to enjoy it as much as it's not going to be easy. That seems fair. Jeremy, I won't keep you any longer. I know you're probably... I know you probably missed a half a dozen phone calls just in the time we were on the phone. Um, hopefully we'll have yeah, a chance to... What's that? I said, we're good. <laughs> I'm in New Orleans just getting ready for the uh, Buffalo Classic here. Oh, okay. The one pocket. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk a few more times before uh, the Moscone Cup itself, and um, we'll look forward to that. 
Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Be safe. All right. Jeremy sounds like he's got a plan. I just can't imagine the kind of pressure that it must be not only playing on Team USA, but coaching it and, and being held responsible for how that team does when you can't even screw together a cue. And as for the captain, Johan, fans in the States don't even know if he can make a ball, but they know Jeremy can make a ball. And I, I wish the best for the team, of course, and, and I wish the best for Jeremy. That's it for this episode. We will be back two weeks. I am working on an interview with Harry Plattis about the new gambling laws that the Supreme Court changed in the last week or so. I should be able to get with Harry in the next week, so he should be our guest for that episode in two weeks. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.